soul be still, do not be moved by lesser lights and fleeting shadows. Hold on to his ways with shield of faith against temptation's flaming arrows. Still, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord of peace, renew a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you. Still, my soul, be still, do not forsake the truth you learned in the beginning. Wait upon the Lord, and hope will rise as stars appear when day is dimming. God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord of peace, renew a steadfast spirit within me to rest. off, so I'll be careful not to do that. I'm going to be in the book of Matthew in chapter 3, if you have a Bible. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, I was thinking about the drive up here, how uh, it seems like I only have one sermon I preach here. I even said that one time. It's, it's, you know, really, part of it is that, you, you know, I'm so in process in, in a few areas in my life that I, I'm kind of growing in life, of course, like all of us are, and just growing in a, in a deeper understanding of some of these things that we knew in the beginning, but we know it deeper and deeper and deeper. A lot of times it's not new information that makes the radical change in our lives. It's coming to really believe, isn't it? You know, Jesus was often saying, oh, ye, ye of little faith, because it really does come down to faith. And then out of faith comes hope and love. The whole progression of our Christian life is, um, is learning to trust the things that we heard in the beginning. So I want to kind of get a running start at... Uh, what I want to share with you this morning by looking at John the Baptist's life in Matthew 4. 
Let's pray together first. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that, uh, that you're the almighty God and that you're present with us, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And um, that your word is powerful and that your Holy Spirit is promised to us and promised to those who will ask. You being fathers, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children. Will not he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And we ask for the Holy Spirit this morning to, to enlighten us, to speak through your word, um, that uh, you would enlighten my thoughts um, and that we would, we would trust you and have hope because we've gotten together today, uh, this morning. So we unite our hearts and ask in agreement in Jesus' name. Amen. I actually kind of preached a message like this um, last week at the Methodist Church in Paradise. Um, United Methodist Church, they asked me to preach there, and um, so I do, um, even though I'm not very Methodist. Um, the, uh, I was actually asked if I would consider pastoring that church, and I said, you know, I, 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 would, I, I, w- I won't, um, because I know that um, it won't be long, and I'll say something that you'll choke on like a chicken bone. Um, I said, there, there may be areas in my life where I look a lot more liberal than I used to, but uh, I assure you there's areas that I'm far more conservative than you would be happy with. So, um, But I was trying to kind of get a running start at a sermon that God's been working at in my heart, and it's not ready. Um, you're just going to help walk me into it and through it a little bit. Um, and it's a, it's a message on hope, because I've needed it so desperately in my life, needed to understand this thing we call hope. Um, I have a feeling that because we, because we are so because we live our lives so focused on what we see on the palpable on the relationships um, on, in this body um, that um, the one thing that the devil has, uh, the one thing that the devil has as as warfare against us is the lie. And Jesus mentioned this. He said that uh, you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. The one thing that Jesus teaches us initially, and m- most emphatically about the darkness about Satan, is that he's a liar. Um, and all of our life, Satan uses the world, the flesh, the devil uses the world and the flesh to lie to us about who God is, about his presence with us. If we knew, if we really knew the truth about who we are and how this thing ends, if we knew that by faith, um, the devil would be out of business. It would ruin his game. Because we are secure. We're told uh, in John that we are the, the children of God. And uh, I think he's got to be a better father than I am. And I would in no way abandon my children. 
those of you with children know what I'm talking about. And so God is that kind of a father. He has to be. There is no in-between. Either he is good and he loves us and he has a plan for us that's going to blow our minds in the end or it's all a lie. But there's too much evidence against that. There's too much evidence that, that God is, is very involved in our lives. I want to look uh, for a minute at the life of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3 has an interesting thing um, happen. Jesus comes to John and um, and. Uh, when, when Jesus comes down to the, to the Jordan where John is baptizing, um, I wonder what John expected. I would assume that John expected that Jesus would come take his place and that John would be baptized by him. Remember, John says it's, um, as a matter of fact, doesn't he say that? I wore the wrong glasses here. Um, but basically, it's, it's, it's me that needs to be baptized by you. I mean, I'm, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. Why are you coming to be baptized by me? And, and I don't really understand that. That's kind of a mystical passage of scripture where he says, hey, let's go ahead and do this. Permit it at this time, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There in Matthew chapter Three verse 15, permitted at this time for it's in this way that it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I wonder what, what's going on there. If it isn't that we think of baptism, you know, it's one of those religious words that kind of locks up in our head. It does for me. I was raised in a religious paradigm. I was, from the time I was a child, I was raised listen, listening to and hearing these religious words, faith, hope, and love being religious words as well. And all of my life has been also a process of actually expanding the meaning of those words. And this word baptism comes with a lot of theological and religious, particularly religious baggage. What is baptism other than identification with? John is, is in the Jordan River. He's, he's uh, telling the, the Pharisees and the people who come, he's saying, you know, um, come and be baptized into repentance. Identify your life with one of repentance, of needing to change, of coming out of the gate not right. And that's the world we live in. We live, we all come into this world not right. We all come into this world um, with, with, with a strong self-will, with a sin problem. And so John is saying there's a, there's a place to change, and, and the change starts today in this River Jordan when you come and you identify with that knowledge that there's something wrong in your life and you need to repent. You need to change the way you're seeing your life. You need to change the way you see your life. Um, and I think the Pharisees had a hard time you know, doing that because they thought they had it right. They thought their theology was big enough, was good enough. And so they had a hard time. That's why he called them a brood of vipers because they were continually sharing a dead religion with people, not a new life that comes out of repentance and comes out of following and walking with this man who now comes out of the wilderness to the Jordan River and says to John, I, it's, I want you to baptize me. It's, uh, um, how does he say it? Permitted at this time. Here, there's some glasses here I'm going to use. Maybe they'll work. Ah, better. I don't know how they look. I don't, I don't care. Shut up, Dwayne. 
permitted at this time for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. I see it this way that Jesus at that point is kind of identifying with man. You know, one of the past sermons that I preached here was on, on uh, Psalm 22 where we looked at how Jesus in Psalm 22, really from the cross, when Jesus is dying on the cross, he quotes uh, several state, statements that actually come out of Psalm 22 um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It starts Psalm 22. It actually ends with, it is finished. Um, and so Jesus is identifying on the cross with David, who had a really bad day a thousand years before him. I think what, what Jesus is doing when he's on that cross and saying those things from Psalm 22, as we talked about before, if you were here, is Jesus is saying, you see your bad day, I go through it with you. I am with you in that. I will never leave you or forsake you. All through your life, all through this mystery of your life, I have been with you, never left you, never left you alone. And so when he comes to be baptized, he is actually going through the process of of living out a life just the way that we do it. An important thing I think we have to understand about the life of Jesus is that when he lived on earth, I do not believe that he... I believe that Philippians 2 is right when it says that he emptied himself of his godlike quality or, or, or attributes that would make him live in any way differently than we can live. Remember Jesus later on when he, uh, when he promises the Holy Spirit to his apostles, he says, greater things will you do. Jesus lives life like a, a perfect man should live life. And then he uh, and it, like we talk, we've talked about before, he, his favorite name for himself was the Son of Man. And I think intentionally saying, so that you understand that this is the way, watch me, this is the way you live as a Son of Man. And so Jesus is baptized identifying himself with us, with our life. And of course, it, that kind of makes sense. Because we're told to walk out this Christian life that we have that... You know, Paul says, I have died and my life is hid with Christ in the life that I now live in the flesh. This flesh life, this real life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not I, but Christ. Christ lives in me. Like that old hymn, Christ liveth in me. It's Jesus' life living through me. There's, there's a, a, a oneness, a unity, and, and Christ in me, the hope of glory, as Paul says. Now, these things are mystical, I realize, but they're very real. They have to be real in our lives. Understand that Jesus will never leave me, that my life can't really be separated from his. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. That's why John even knew, before he knew all of this really clearly, he said, he who comes before or after me here is greater than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Interesting way to put it, I think both are kind of synonymous. Um, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. And have you noticed that the, the pattern of your life has been one of trial, where the fires of trial do refine you as gold is refined. And so he baptizes us truly with the Holy Spirit, identifies, brings, immerses us into the Holy Spirit, or even immerses the Holy Spirit into us might be a way to look at it, and with the fire of trial to refine us to be children of God. So John doesn't really understand this, but he baptizes Jesus, and immediately as Jesus comes out of the water, what happens? 
Hmm. Help me with this. You tell me. What? So yeah, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove from heaven, and uh, there's a voice out of heaven saying what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Um, not unlike the voice on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah are with him, and he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. After that, things get really tough for John the Baptist. You know what? It isn't long after this he gets into trouble for opening his mouth in righteousness about Herod and um, is put in prison. And uh, from prison, his ministry is ended. This glorious life of John the Baptist, who Jesus himself said is, you know, uh, no one born of women is greater, um, although he does say that all in the kingdom are, are greater, so he's kind of opening up the door to the kingdom. But John the Baptist was an amazing man. But you think about his ministry. My goodness, what a tough life. He lives kind of as a madman in the wilderness, eating grasshoppers and honey. And, uh, and then he baptizes Jesus. We're given a, a, a very brief story about him. And then he ends up in prison and, and eventually loses his head. But while he's in prison, he sends some of his disciples, some that were following him, and says, go, sends them to Jesus and says, are you, the, are you the one that we're waiting for? Are you the expected one, or should we look for another? Because G John himself was confused about the ministry of Jesus Christ. The way Jesus was doing Jesus' own life, but the way Jesus was doing John's life, the way John's life was working out in ministry, in life, was not what John expected. It really wasn't a good experience. And then losing his head. And we might say, well, what was that about? Jesus, right after the baptism, goes into the wilderness and spends 40 days in the wilderness um, fasting. And at the end of that time, um, the devil comes to him and tempts him. By the way, not, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead, but Jesus' life just doesn't end up the way anybody expected it to. His ministry didn't. Remember, that was why Peter, um, you know, when Jesus was foretelling his death, said, no, Lord, don't let it. No, you know, let it not be. And Jesus turns around and says uh, to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Um, you're thinking the way men think, not the way God thinks. Very often in ministry and in life, that's the problem. We're thinking the way men tend to think, the way the flesh thinks, the way the, uh, the tainted mind thinks, and not the way God thinks. His idea for our life is very different. And it always seems to involve conflict and trial, difficulty. Maybe this is why Jesus lived the life he did, full of suffering and trial, to show us that even the perfect man is going to maybe not have a place to lay his head. And yet the whole time, Jesus trusts the Father and rebukes his disciples by saying, Oh, ye of little faith. You've got to trust your father. The interesting thing happening in the wilderness, those three temptations that were, are written down for us are temptations initially. Um, the first two, um, he says, if, if the, Satan comes to him in the wilderness at the end of his uh, fast and says, if you are the son of God, 
if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You're hungry. You have a need. Now control it. If you're the Son of God, you should be able to do that. You should be able to take action and control your situation here. Make bread out of the rocks. And Jesus, as uh, the Son of Man, instructs us that we don't take care of ourselves, that our Father takes care of us. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. In other words, stick to the word, stay with the word. But the question to Jesus is that, are you the son of, are you the son of God? Do you think Jesus ever doubted that he was the son of God? I just think about the question. Because we're told that he had to learn. He asked questions. He, he, uh, what does the Bible say? Um, uh, he increased in knowledge and in um, stature um, and in favor with God and man. And so Jesus actually, the, the Bible verses that he's quoting, he memorized the hard way, the same way we memorize verses. Think about that. Remember at the, at the uh, kenosis, at the emptying of himself, when he, was, when he came as a baby, he cried for perhaps, probably. I imagine he probably had dirty diapers. He lived a life just like we do. And he had to memorize the word. And he had to learn somehow by faith that he, I think, uh, it's a thought, if you disagree with me, that's fine, that he had to learn that he was the son of God. I wonder when that consciousness came upon him. Interesting thought. Because the second temptation that the devil gives him is the same thing. If you are the son of God... If he knew he was the son of God, that wouldn't have been a temptation, but he was tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. And so there must be an actual temptation behind, because the temptation was, was to question who you are. That was the temptation, right? If you are the son of God. It wasn't about the hunger. And it wasn't about casting himself off the, the pinnacle and, you know, let's see, cast Testify that we are children of and fellow that got out of it. Life as a participant sufferings of my life. I feel very important any more than any suffering can come in the form of hammer, but very just the the love by God. Sufferings of this be yielded to life compared we have a piece of rare even of a good father for the angel means it a little bit to you the everything everything what does he say these is me and the life with Jesus come out expect and to turn out my age that I would be just a totally um this way so hard no God slowly they do come but listen to what futility born here. Um, the creation was futile. We didn't choose what we want. We don't choose the political. We don't choose what happened in the world. Rejected by who? But him who put futility in the world that we're raised in. Think about it. It is subjective in my Futility. The confusion that you want to. The conflict 
relationship, like with who I for my wife, for my children, not to be more. It's an intense has it's a toxic canal. This day I be here according to God, not according to my I would too if I had any control. God says in his discernment that you need to push you into understanding who you are in my eyes. That's weird, isn't it? Because sometimes it almost seems to work the other way in our life, doesn't it? Some of us tend to be repelled from God, driven away from God. But God uh, tells us here that this environment is what is the perfect birthing situation for us. He subjected it in hope that the creation itself also would be set free from the slavery of corruption. See, here's the problem. The problem is that we were slaves because of what happened in the garden and because of our smallness. We're slaves to corruption. Sin is a real problem in the world. And so God's answer to sin in our lives and in the world is that we go through a process of trial. And Jesus showed us that by coming in the flesh and actually going through a a process of trial in his own life. John the Baptist did. Look at every man of God. This is a consistent theme all the way throughout the Bible. Think of a Bible hero that didn't suffer some type of tough life. Elijah, Daniel, Jeremiah, definitely, Ezekiel, um, really the patriarchs, all of them. And oddly enough, you actually see in the biblical narrative how it was their struggles and how they dealt with those struggles that changed their hearts and their minds to believe in the unseen God and to know who they were. The creation itself also will be set free of its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is where we're going. With our free will, we will someday choose him out of our own free will. Think about the Ten Commandments with me. Thou shalt not. I look forward to the day that I shall not kill. I look forward to the day I shall not steal. I look forward to the day I shall not covet. My will needs to be changed, and the milieu or the complication of a, of a world that's subjected to vanity is, is changing my mind over time about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit in me. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. What did I say? This is the perfect birthing situation. This is the perfect birth canal. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only this, but we ourselves groan within ourselves. Anybody groan this morning when you got out of bed? Just wondering. (laughs) Anybody groan this week over something you said stupid? I did. I've already forgotten it. Good. Um, just yesterday I said something really stupid, and I really regretted it, and I had to pray about it. I said, Lord, I'll cover that. I hope he did. I don't know. Anybody ever groan? Of course. We also ourselves, we groan within ourselves, waiting. Um, we ourselves groan within ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our, what? Adoption as sons. 
don't mess up that word adoption. That's a different word in the Greek and in the mind of the writer than it is for us. We're not, the calling of sons is a better way to, we're waiting for God to, um, for us to come to recognize that we are sons. We're, we're more than adopted. We are the very offspring of God. We ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we grown within ourselves, waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Then I'll, I'll end with this because I'm just really going long. Um, verse 24, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. And he goes on. That's where I'm going, and that's uh, what God is working on my heart with. How important hope is in our lives as Christians. The hope that all of this is leading us to a place where we are called, where, where we in our minds understand who we are, where we can stand with Jesus against the temptation of thinking less of ourselves than what God says of us. Um, and what does he say? As I began, I said, you know, this, this uh, uh, invisible God the real stuff that's happening in life is unseen. It's invisible. It's in the invisible realm. And he's saying that right here. He's saying the thing that holds us together, that holds our life together, is not seen. It's not something you can put in a test tube. It's a reality that we all know. And we don't even know where we know it from. Does it come from our mind or does it come from un some unseen consciousness that isn't that couldn't be dissected in the brain? You can't, a dead person, you can't dissect their brain and find Jesus in there. You can't dissect a dead person's heart and find a spirit that longs for Jesus, longs for righteousness, longs for truth. Where is this? It's unseen. It's invisible. But we all know it's real. As a matter of fact, it's the most real thing of our life. There's a, a poem that years ago I heard, and I never really understood it, by... Uh, Alexander Pope, you've heard this, hope springs eternal. Have you ever heard that, um, that term? Well, hope springs eternal. I used to hear it from old ranch wives. Um, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. The soul uneasy and confined from home rests and expatiates in a life to come. Poetic language and old language. What he's saying here is we never on this side of glory, we never on the, grab it. God has intended that we don't. That's why faith was the issue with Jesus' apostles, to believe what Jesus was saying about life, to believe what God says about life. That's why his answer to the devil was don't, you know, man lives not by bread, by the stuff you take and eat, but man lives by the word of God, what God says about me, to believe in the unseen. That's why the world calls us crazy, you know. But... You're all looking at me like, to some degree, you understand what I'm talking about. So you're crazy, too. 
We all know what I'm talking about here. The big struggle is getting it into my, from, from here to here, day to day, to really believe that God knows what he's doing with this train wreck I call my life. It feels like that to me. You know, from your distance, it doesn't look that bad, perhaps. I can't see it in you. 